Welcome to Cyanotopia, a podcast celebrating cyanotype and the artists who use cyanotype in their art making. Each episode features a short introduction about cyanotype, as well as a long-form interview with an artist who uses cyanotype in their art making. The artists talk about what they make, why they make it, and how they make their work. My name is Marilyn Krasner, and I make each episode of this podcast. I wanted to make a podcast about cyanotype because I have been having an intense love affair with cyanotype for a solid year. And I think it's natural when love is still fresh to want to talk about it a lot. My mom died unexpectedly in April 2021. I live in Aotearoa and she was in California. If you've been through a big grief, you might understand my need for distraction. And I am very grateful that I discovered cyanotype a month or so after my mom died. Cyanotype has been my companion during this time, a lifesaver for me, a brain saver, a joy maker. I'm also a mom and I love that I can show my kids that art doesn't have to be stay within the lines perfect. It is beautiful even when it's uncontrolled, messy, and water gets everywhere. And this podcast is my way of honoring cyanotype and a gift to the cyanotype community and the creative community all over the world. Even if you're not using cyanotype, I think the interviews will resonate because the artists I speak to in these episodes are so interesting. And because the cyanotype community is made up of people from all over the world, and this podcast is in English, each episode starts with an artist offering an explanation of cyanotype in whatever language they choose. If you want to support the artists you hear on this podcast, please refer to the show notes and find out how to buy their art. I've listed their websites and social media information, along with a list of links to artists, books, and websites that they mentioned during their interviews. You can find the show notes for each episode in your podcast app or on my website, www.marilynkrasner.com. That's M-A-R-O-L-Y-N-K-R-A-S-N-E-R.com. And please keep making your art. The world needs your art. And it's okay to make art even when times are really hard because you're a human. And really, it's one of the best parts about being a human being, I think. In this first episode of the show, I spoke with Oriana Poindexter about her adventures diving deep into the ocean to get her materials for her cyanotype. Enjoy the show. Hola a todos y todas. Mi nombre es Misael Samano Vargas. Soy un artista visual eh, mexicano que trabajo a partir de la fotografía autoral, la fotografía experimental, videoarte y arte sonoro. Eh, pueden encontrar mi obra en la página web www.misaelsamano.com. Eh, la cenotipia es un proceso fotográfico químico en el cual se combinan dos eh, componentes, el citrato de amonio y el ferricianuro de potasio, para lograr una emulsión que es fotosensible. Esto quiere decir que reacciona con la luz y a partir de eso la gran ventaja de la cianotipia es que puedes generar eh, piezas, objetos, 
superficies que sean fotosensibles para poder hacer imágenes a partir de ella. I'm Oriana Poindexter. I'm a marine scientist and a photographer, and I've been making cyanotypes using freshly collected algae and kelp from the waters of Southern California. I started making cyanotypes about four years ago now. I mostly use algae and, and kelp that I collect when I'm diving here in Southern California. And I use those specimens fresh um, out of the water to create contact print uh, photogram cyanotypes with. Lately, I've been messing with scale and feeling really liberated by the fact that these can get as big as I want them to, as big as I can find paper or canvas to make them on. Coming from a traditional black and white darkroom analog photography background, it just feels like liberating is the best word I can, I can use. Just the fact that it's all outside, I, I, I get to dive for my materials. Um, it gets me in the ocean. Uh, every day is totally different in the water. And, and then to be able to create images that are both photographic, but also very kind of ethereal at scale outside with just water and the sun. It just, it's been so much fun really exploring this medium and developing the process and trying to uh, kind of refine it uh, a little bit more as I have more practice with it. Playing with scale has been one of my, one of the most rewarding things uh, lately with it. So what does that bigger scale bring to your experience of the process? I think if I were using a different subject, it wouldn't matter as much. The, the giant kelp in particular grows to over a hundred feet tall um, in the oceans. I do a lot of underwater photography as well. And I'm, I'm always trying to photograph this kelp and it never really comes out the way I want it to, or the there's no sense of, I kind of, you lose the sense of scale in a photograph if you don't have kind of a human or something that you can identify as scale. The photograms, the contact printing nature of the cyanotype really lets me communicate to the viewer, this is how big this thing is. The biggest one I've made is 12 feet long at this point. And that's like, you know, a fraction of the entire organism that's in the ocean. So being able to record that in life size, I think is really cool. <laughs> yeah, and it looks amazing. Like you have a picture on Instagram where you're kind of rolling the paper off of a roof, I think. Yeah, because <laughs> um, we didn't have anywhere else to like hold it straight up. So <laughs> yes, amazing. I didn't want to go on the roof. So I made him go on the roof and I took the picture. <laughs> Most of my science work has been in fisheries, um, actually, and not in seaweeds or algaes. Uh, so I'm playing catch up and learning as I go with all of this. But my marine biology and marine conservation was uh, my studies. One of the things that I, I think is really cool about cyanotypes and algae in particular and pairing these two, the process and the subject, um, is that it really harkens back to the, the history of cyanotype, the first um, female photographer ever really that I'm aware of was Anna Atkins, the British biologist, British botanist um, who used cyanotype. She was the first um, real 
um, cyanotype practitioner to uh, publish her images in a book. Um, and those were of algae in, in Britain. Um, and so this tradition of using this process specifically for the accurate representation of algaes, I think is, I, I love that I can continue this um, tradition that, that started really with the, with the medium when, when it was invented. I'm not a taxonomist by training, but I really enjoy neatly organized things. <laughs> and so I really enjoy kind of knowing the species and the, and being able to delve into uh, the characteristics that different species have, being able to present my work in that way, saying this is this species and having all of that background behind it is really important to me as sort of a kind of an educational science, science communication aspect to um, the work as well. Yeah, you mentioned Anaka. We're recording this in March 2022, so it's uh, Women's History Month. A lot of people have um, a big debt, you know, to her in terms of kind of showing us what we can do and, and what we can expect, I guess, from some of the species that she worked with. How, yeah. how important is that history for you? Does she come up a lot when you're out in the water or printing? The pairing of the algae and the cyanotype, I think, um, really comes up a lot for me. And the, what I find really interesting looking at her work is that her, the species of algae that she's working with are so delicate and so small and fragile. Um, and the amount of detail that she's able to get is really incredible. Um, I don't have the patience to like pick apart these <laughs> really minute, really delicate red algaes. And, and some of the images that she has of those species are just incredible. Um, I like my giant kelp because it's, you know, it's big. I can, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I find that really, I found that really impressive when I, kind of once I started making my own cyanotypes using algaes as well, I kind of went back and looked at her work again. And that's what really stuck out to me, like just really impressed at the, the detail that she was able to capture in these really fragile species that are, that are so, so tiny. Yeah, they lived maybe in a slower world, right? Like a bit more time, not as near her phone wasn't dinging to <laughs> distract her. <laughs> Just going back to the giant kelp and your process with that, can you talk about that process Process you use preparing a very large piece of paper? No, I usually prepare the paper the night before. Um, whatever I'm going to make, I kind of get the paper or the canvases ready the night before. And then I kind of have in my head, okay, I, I need two six foot long pieces. And then I have a bunch of like small papers or like I know I'm going to make a 12 foot long print and okay, I, I, I'm looking for a specific thing in the water to kind of match what I'm trying to, to make or the canvases and papers I'm trying to fill. I have that already in my mind, I guess. And then I go out and see what I find that, that looks like it'll fit what I've got to work with that day. I bring it home and I, I use it pretty quickly. Um, I I sort of like drip dry it a little bit. So it just, so it's not like pouring water onto the paper. Um, and then I lay it out, I arrange it. I attempt to arrange it in a sort of 
shaded area, <laughs> but once they get really big, it's really hard to move them. Um, so it's always kind of a frantic scramble to like arrange all the leaves the way I want them before the exposure gets too far along, um, especially with the big ones, because I the small ones I can set up inside or in the garage and then bring them outside and they're perfect the way I want them to be. But the the big stuff, it's like you just got to embrace a little bit of of chance and chaos. <laughs> Totally. I relate to that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big part of my process too. So yeah, yeah I was going to ask you, like, is it windy where you live? How do you, how do you make sure things, because a lot of people use Perspex or glass on top of yeah. images. What on small you- ones, I, I tend to use uh, Plexi, um, but that my biggest piece is like 16 by 20 and I just can't be bothered to like pay a bunch of money to get a gigantic piece of Plexi. Yeah, it can be windy and it's usually like annoyingly the most windy when I'm like have the most fragile thing going on. (laughs) Um, But actually what I found is uh, for a while I was using dive weights to like weigh down the edges of the kelp that would like stick off the edges of the paper, but they, they tended to, I don't know, they're like lead weight. So they're, they would leave like gray marks and piss me off. so I've started using shells actually to weigh stuff down and, and they're, they work really well and they're pretty and fun to use <laughs> and I can kind of move around. They're just heavy enough to hold the, hold the kelp down from the wind and not uh, leave any marks on, on my paper and stuff. So shells. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And how, how many of those really large prints have you done? Like how much have you had to refine this and are you still refining it? Very much still refining it. Yeah. Um, I've only made a couple really large ones, uh, like on rolls of watercolor paper. Um, I've made probably 10 in kind of the six foot range. I am restraining myself from just making tons of giant rolls because I have nowhere to put them or like hang them. And I have this dream of making a forest of hanging like from the ceiling in some high ceilinged space but I need I need somebody to to offer me a high ceiling space (laughs) to make a forest in so not it's yeah very much evolving this this whole process someone will come along I'm hopeful an abandoned shopping mall or something you know turned art space yeah I just you know it doesn't need to be that big it just needs to be 20 foot ceilings and like I can fill the whole thing and then people could like walk through that's that's my vision (laughs) and have you thought about any other materials to print on like have you experimented with anything aside from watercolor paper yeah, I've had some pretty good results with raw canvas that I can get pretty cheaply by by the yard. So that's been nice to play with and kind of a different effect than the paper, less crisp. Once it's developed, it almost looks like denim, like that dark blue, like almost reads as like a dark denim, which is really cool. I wanted to try some clothing just for fun. That has been the most frustrating so far. <laughs> Cause I've been trying to wash it and like, it gets a little browner on the edges. And then I, I don't like that. 
I tried some silk, which worked well. And just cotton muslin that I got from the, the fabric store worked really nicely also. I had like four things I picked up at a thrift shop, like specifically trying to print on them. One of them turned out okay. And the others are like really disappointing and kind of brown. And I don't know why, but <laughs> learning process for sure. I watched um, a lecture you gave about white abalone. Would you say that is your specialist area or how would you describe your work with white abalone? Definitely not my specialty area. I am definitely more of a generalist, <laughs> um, but I have been working on a book uh, for the past two years now uh, about all seven species of abalone that we have here on the Pacific West Coast, white abalone being one of them that is listed as endangered. And there's a, a lot of uh, conservation and restoration efforts going on to support that species. Um, so I've been lucky enough to have some support to document um, and, and photograph and, and write um, about these species for, for the past couple of years. And um, that's been really cool to, to kind of travel around, around the state and uh, get to visit scientists who are working on different aspects of this whole program. Um, they're, uh, they brought some animals in from the wild and they are uh, breeding them in captivity along with um, kind of the first generation broodstock uh, with the intention of outplanting the, the babies back into the wild to support the wild population. Um, that's for the white abalone specifically, but um, and the other species have different approaches um, kind of based on their different challenges that they face and uh, they all have a, a slightly different niche in the, in the environment. So um, yeah, I guess my, my work is always kind of straddling the, the science and the art, um, but it all kind of comes from the same place of my, my, my new projects always start from a place of just like visual curiosity, usually like I'll find something really visually interesting to me that I want to photograph or record in some way. And then I'll start doing that. And then I realize like, oh, this is very interesting from like a conceptual or a scientific standpoint and need to like dive in really deep on it. So <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but hopefully. Yeah. Well, I guess I just was curious about like um, when you're in those science spaces or I asked the question because when they introduced you and when you introduced yourself in that during that lecture, you know, you, you're a scientist, you are a scientist and an artist. It's just interesting um, for me, you know, you know, I'm a mom and an artist, but I don't often think about how they impact each other, you know, mm -hmm. even time wise. And so I just wanted to ask you how how you manage that. Like if you're in a science space in a meeting, are you getting ideas? And Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they really inform each other for me, kind of in both directions. Um, in, the, in the science spaces, my, the way that I interpret things is, um, is different than a lot of other scientists and um, is appreciated in, in certain instances for that reason. Um, that I might have a different idea on how to present a concept or um, how to write about something complex uh, in a way that can be 
understood by the general public, you know, I'm, I've been told I'm good at just kind of translating scientific topics into regular speak, um, <laughs> removing all the jargon and um, kind of identifying what the heart of the concept is to, to communicate. Um, so that, I, th I think that really comes from looking at things. Um, so yeah, just being able to look at things differently than um, somebody that, that spends all of their time in, in kind of that left brain um, space. Yeah, because you studied visual art, right? Before you went to the, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I started out my undergrad studies as pre-med. I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and then I took a bunch of science classes and they were hard. And, I, and then I took some photography classes and those were fun. Um, so I was in the sciences until my junior year of, of college. And then I, I decided I, I was going to major in, in visual arts. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been very kind of split for me for forever <laughs> with the, the science and the, the visual arts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I, I came back to uh, California and I ended up going to, to grad school for, um, marine science and, but yeah, always in the back and forth. <laughs> and how has that been for you? Like, um, is it something that's easy to manage or, I mean, you talked before about you're able to communicate ideas and stuff, but when, when you're in the photography space or the cyanotype space, are you kind of yearning for, you know, the science workspace or is it balanced for you? It's definitely not easy to balance. Lately, I have been putting the photography and the cyanotypes more at the center of, of my time. And I'm lucky to be in a position where I, I have the flexibility to do that right now. So we're, we'll see how that, how that goes. <laughs> um, it's been a while that I I had been wanting to like give it a real shot and see if I could make this, make the, the photography and the, the cyanotype making really the center of my livelihood. So we'll see how that pans out. If not, there's, there's the science to fall back on. <laughs> the consulting work is always there. Yeah, the balance is not easy at all. I think to really make visual artwork that means something requires so much more than just like the time spent physically making it. Um, it like, it needs so much more space in your head than just the, you know, three or four hours that you can spend on a weekend making prints for something to really come together that is cohesive and significant. And so I've been trying to give myself that at the moment. Yeah, yeah that's not a small thing at all it's just the whole paradigm shift isn't it like that's my personal experience of like I used to say I can't it's not possible it's not possible and then it's just kind of a shift of oh well let's just try yeah but a lot of things have to line up financially personally yeah yeah so I saw kind of a, a window opportunity with I had a couple projects um, that I was working on on the marine science side wrap up um kind of all at the same time um last fall and it was like okay <laughs> i could just try it now <laughs> we'll 
we'll see how the year goes. So what does that look like? What, what does trying it look like? Well, I've been working for 10 years almost um, as a contractor, sort of consultant um, with NOAA Fisheries, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administrations, and the Scripps Institution of Oceanography on these kind of short six months, maybe one year grant funded projects. Um, and they, they sort of one, one would lead into another. Uh, so it was really easy to just kind of keep bouncing the ball down the road and not not decide. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, those kind of wrapped up and I chose not to pick up the next one um, and instead just focus on this. I've been trying to make as much as I can and I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities to show my work in different places, whether that be online or uh, in person. Thankfully, COVID is Breathe, let, like letting us breathe a little bit um, now and the in-person gallery spaces are opening back up. Um, so those opportunities have just started um, kind of reappearing, which is really nice. Um, I've got an opening tonight uh, at a small uh, location here in San Diego and uh, it'll be the first uh, gallery showing I've had since before COVID and just putting stuff on the walls was like Oh, okay. This feels really good. This is really nice to see something outside of my house. <laughs> so um, I'm really excited to be able to start doing that again. And hopefully things continue in this, in this direction. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome. You have an opening tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and so what was the preparation process for that? Did you frame thing, your pieces or how are they, how are you presenting and is it all cyanotypes? Um, yeah, this is all cyanotypes. It's the first time I've shown them outside of my house. <laughs> Some of them are framed. Uh, all, the, all the pieces on paper are framed. Um, and then most of them are smaller because uh, the turnaround for this was actually really quick. I have that big canvas piece that's like a stretched, it's on, it's like a stretched canvas. So it's, it's not framed, but um, the rest are framed and then I have two sort of little experimental pieces that are on wood um, that are not framed. The wood's been interesting. It's like a really nice idea, but I can't, the contrast doesn't come through very well. Oh, I'm curious to see what, what people think of them compared to the paper. So there, you actually did cyanotype on the wood? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. what kind of did you use? that um I just found these like panels at the at the art store that are for painting I assume I just kind of was wandering around the art store looking for things that might work <laughs> and I, I picked these guys up um I think they're birch um it's a light wood um very lightweight also I really liked the idea but the con yeah the contrast is just compared to the when you put them next to the paper they they seem really flat. I also find that I'm kind of the harshest critic of my own prints. And so maybe other people will enjoy them and not criticize them because they're not as contrasty. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said to me, uh, they didn't know what you had in mind, you know, if someone else yeah. is looking at it. Yeah. That was really helpful for me. Yeah. yeah. And so is that, is that criticism something that um, is part of your art making as well, like your critical eye at your own work? Is it helpful? 
hurtful? <laughs> um, I don't know if it's helpful or hurtful. I try to kind of maintain a certain level of, of the work that I choose to share um, or choose to sell. I, it, I want it to be, you know, I want to be proud of it. But then sometimes there are, I find myself sort of explaining away like, oh, little things that I see as mistakes on prints and people are like, oh, well, that's why I like this one. Sometimes with the kelp in particular, um, sort of transfers the pigment from the, from the plant, from the algae, uh, excuse me, onto the paper and leaves sort of a brownish hue in certain areas. I prefer to not have the brown. Um, but some people really like it and like other, they choose a print over another one because they prefer that it has that pigment transfer on it. Once they frame them up, I, I agree with them. It does look really nice, <laughs> but to me, when I'm printing, I'm like, oh God, this one's brown. <laughs> do you ever do anything to a print, tone it or try to wipe that off or anything like that. I try um, to wipe it off, but it doesn't come <laughs> off. <laughs> um, I've just very recently started experimenting with toning. Um, I haven't done enough to be able to speak about it um, in, in an authoritative way at all, but I'm really interested in, in playing around with it more, um, especially toning with the algae that I'm using to make the prints. Um, I had just had this idea of kind of that circularity and finding another use for that um, organism once I've printed with it um, instead of, I, I normally put everything back uh, on the beach, but if I can find another way to incorporate that into the making of this piece, I think that would be really a really nice circular um, thing to include. So uh, I I've done just a couple tests um, and they're, there's definitely like a change. I don't know if it's like an improvement, but it's, it does something to the print. I got that book, the cyanotype toning recently. I highly admire the scientific nature of how she did this. She tested like three, there's like 10 pages in the appendix of um, all of these different types of plants that she tested and then like recorded all of all of her um, results for 360 species of botanicals but there's no algae in it so mm. <laughs> um, yeah I was like okay well <laughs> yeah. yeah I think it came out pretty recently I saw it at a at a gallery actually and I was like can are this is for sale gonna have it and they're like no 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 that's ours <laughs> So I went home and I ordered my own copy, but. So you're an artist and you use cyanotype. Is that what you say? Or how would you describe if someone didn't know you tonight and they came to the opening of your show, what do you say? I think I'm more as a photographer than uh, in terms of a label. I, I mm -hmm. feel that I'm, I'm a photographer um, and I, the cyanotypes are wonderful because they're photographs in a, in a different way that, kind of have less in between me and the image that I'm making. Yeah, like I can't draw to save my life. I wish I could, but I, I feel like that's like really a, a fundamental piece of being an artist. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I've always been a photographer that always been really interested in observing and recording and, and sharing images. And, and so that, that feels like a better fit for me. 
Yeah. And in terms of, in terms of this year, you know, where you're, you know, you're going for it with your art, you're, you've taken that leap, you're practicing yeah. regularly. How much, um, how often are you using a camera in your, in your artistic work, not necessarily just to document cyanotype, but yeah. when you're making yeah. art? It kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes I, I go through phases where I'm, I'm just photographing and other times I'm making lots of prints, very weather dependent too. Most of my photography that I am really interested in is at the moment is underwater whenever I can dive. And, but then I have like too much to do when I'm diving sometimes, like I'm trying to photograph and then collect kelp for later. And I just have to like pick one or the other <laughs> sometimes. So been on a cyanotype bender definitely lately so there's been a little bit less photography but they'll even each other out yeah and how do you process those photographs after you take them I use both film and and digital so um I've got a Nikonos for my underwater um film photography which is really a trip I love those cameras but sometimes they don't like me back so those I I used to process my own film, but I would rather pay $7 now than spend the time. So I take it to a lab and then I, I scan my own. I have a scanner that I can do my own scans at home. Um, and then the digital stuff, I just, you know, go through Lightroom. And do but, you just, when, when you present them, are they just, you know, do you touch them up a little bit or do you do any filters? I try to do as little as possible in order to present an image that feels like what I saw. Yeah, underwater sometimes requires a little more editing that I like to make it a pleasing image, um, especially if the visibility is bad and it's all green. And like it, some, there's some, I've taken some digital photos like at depth that are so green that I just it drives me insane have to put a little more time editing in those to get rid of that horrible green but I try to do as little as possible <laughs> and with your um, cyanotype work have you um what other plants and things have you printed or have you only um, printed um, plants and algae from the sea I've done some flowers mostly just like flowers that I had at home and once they got tired and kind of their time had passed. I, I used them to make some prints. Um, the first couple of cyanotypes I ever did were old flowers that I had from a vase. Um, and I decided to, to test that out. I've done some cyanotypes while traveling also. I would kind of pack 10, 10 sheets that I, I coated at home in a, one of those black plastic bags that the darkroom paper comes in which was really fun just to kind of have that in your, in your backpack and be traveling and, and find something interesting and, and make a print and then develop it in your shower in the hotel room <laughs> later. So with that, I, yeah, kind of all kinds of plants or I don't know, kind of dried up things that I find on the beach. But the majority of the stuff that I make here is the vast majority of the stuff I make is with algae. Yeah. I had the idea that um, it'd be really cool to use like fish skeletons, but I haven't had very good results. They look really blurry. Mm -hmm. They have like a, a thickness to them and they weren't very clean. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that wouldn't be interesting remnants left onto the paper. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, my cat found that one particularly <laughs> interesting. How has your relationship with, with diving and with algae, how has that changed since you started using it for your art making? I feel like I've gotten more observant um, in the water, especially kind of really trying to pay attention to how the different types of algae, how the different species kind of hang in the water, how they sit, how the current affects how they move and how the blades are arranged. Um, and then sometimes I'll come home and try to make a print in sort of a different arrangement based on something that I saw in the water or kind of noticed for the first time that day. I started noticing just more um, species. I Before I would just, you know, beeline out to the kelp just because that's where I like to be. Um, but now kind of everything that's in shallow too is really interesting. There's way more diversity on the bottom in the shallow areas um, in terms of algae. So kind of exploring those and taking, <laughs> taking some inspiration from Anna Atkins and trying to have the patience to arrange the really delicate ones. <laughs> so, yeah. And would you ever print something that you, you didn't know what species it was? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I have no problem with that. You ID it later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, there's actually one print that I love that I've made that I am convinced it's like a hybrid of two species of, of algae, but I, I need to show it to an expert to, to confirm. And would you show them the cyanotype print or the... Well, I don't have the, the specimen anymore. <laughs> I try to take pictures of the actual pieces of algae if they're like something that I'm struggling to, to identify. Um, but sometimes I forget to, and then I, I get rid of them. And then all I have is the cyanotype left. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in terms of your process, like, are there any mistakes that you make? that you make over and over like mine is with cutting the paper and stuff and just how I, I'm just a bit too um quick and I just want to get to coding it and are there any things that you that you notice that um you just don't care as much about I guess or you're more focused on a particular area of cyanotype you know that you want to get perfect but this other stuff you're like mm, it's okay if that's not perfect probably the coding of the paper is a step that I am not very interested by. I find it kind of tedious and I can never decide, like, should I leave a white border? Should I paint all the way to the edge? And then if I leave the white border, like it's never even, I'm like, should I make it like really uneven or <laughs> just a little uneven? Like, so yeah, lately, like the ones I made over the past week, I mostly coated the paper all the way to the edge. Cause I was, I was also getting like, Felt like no matter how clean my hands were when I would pick them up with the white edge I would leave like a dirty thumbprint it's like I just washed my hands I've been washing cyanotypes like how how am I leaving this dirty thumbprint so if I quote them to the edge you can't see the dirty thumbprint so <laughs> I think a lot of people would relate to that I had to do mine after my kids go to sleep but I'm just like sometimes too tired yeah yeah my cat got involved in one of them when it was drying <laughs> like a really big one. I was really stoked about it. It came out really nice. And I had it laid out on the floor on a towel drying and she placed her paw on the white edge. And then she placed her other paw like farther inside. And then like 
clawed into it. I was like, you're kidding. So right in like the a, middle, right? <laughs> yeah, like a like a dirty cat footprint and then like claw marks in it. Like, well, no one's not selling. <laughs> Show that one to anyone. It's like collaboration with the cat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now I have to like put them in a room and close the door for them to dry because I don't want her to get involved again. Whose work are you enjoying at the moment? In terms of cyanotype specifically, um, the artist Megan uh, Ripenoff or Ripenoff, I'm not sure how to how she pronounces her last name. I find super inspiring. She's making these really gigantic uh, cyanotype pieces that she leaves out in nature for for periods of time. I really admire her embrace of non-control. I don't know that I could embrace the the lack of control so much um, in the way that she does, but her results are just absolutely stunning, totally abstract and created by natural forces. And I just think that's that's a really incredible thing to be able to to record uh, nature in that way. But I'm I like to have a little bit more control over my stuff. On Instagram, there's like a shocking number of people that have started appearing in my feed. Obviously, the algorithm has figured out that I am the target demographic for cyanotype art. So yeah, there's a lot of people doing really interesting things with all sorts of um, subjects, botanical and not. I had sort of, when I first started making them, I couldn't really understand why somebody would use negatives of an image to, to make cyanotypes. It just felt really, to me, felt like it, it wouldn't work for my work. Um, but I have started seeing some that, that are really beautiful. It's just, it's nice to have that. Um, as much as social media is kind of enveloping and terrible in that way, the way that it kind of exposes you to things you would never see otherwise, I think is really nice, um, especially in this sort of niche cyanotype world. Another one that I have been really admiring, I'm staring off to this side because I ordered a very small print of hers because I can't afford the larger ones, um, is Julia Whitney Barnes um, with the, the gold painting she does over the botanical cyanotypes is, I am obsessed. <laughs> They're just so pretty. Yeah, I got this little tiny one and I just stare at it. Where would you like to take this? Where would it, you like it to take you? I have started doing some workshops, um, teaching other people how to make cyanotypes, both with algae and with botanicals. Um, and that's been really rewarding just to see. It's such a simple process, but like it, there's such a beautiful like light bulb moment that goes off when people see the development happening. So I'd like to do more of those. I also really want to work with um, like seaweed farmers or um, something of that nature, partner with um, people that are farming seaweed at scale and, and try to kind of replicate something big that they're working with underwater and, and create something that they can use on land um, that communicates that, I think in the seaweed farming space, there's a lot, there's, there's a, 
the U.S. and California in particular has a long way to go, and um, it's an area that I think really needs needs our attention because um, it's such an incredible food source, um, especially now as we go forward into our climate altered reality that we've created for ourselves. Um, I think seaweed can do so much for us um, if we kind of allow it to. So um, that's an area that I that I hope I can explore further. Um, and I just want to want to start traveling again and making just kind of exploring and, and making cyanotypes as I go with with what I find in different places.